Hi, this is Dan Slott, writer of Amazing Spider-Man, and you're listening to Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. Oh my God! What did you do today? What <laughs> did I do? Uh, it, it's it's a blur, man. Everything everything I do for the longest time is but you know wake up, work on Spider Man, go to sleep. Everything gets put through the filter of work on Spider Man. There there is no anything. Uh, this used to be um, three times a month Spider-Man with me and like four other guys. And sometimes the four other guys would change and we were all in there, all in the trenches, all their, you know, sleeves rolled up, uh, working on that crazy schedule of three times a month. And the solution, um, as everyone was getting really, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work was let's go down to two towns a month and just you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Those are big chunky books. Oh God, they're chunky books because we uh, went up to an extra eight pages an issue, uh, which sometimes we go out to a full thirty pages, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's twenty-two and an eight-page story, like the last issue, and then the yeah. current issue. Coming up with our next arc, you're going to see a, um, a two-part story uh, by uh, Fred Van Lanty. So that'll be. It's like. Please, please, more bodies. <laughs> Throw bodies at this. Um, but one of the one of the neat things we're trying to do with the backups is that we're trying we're trying to mesh them into the lead feature. Mm-hmm. So when you get your thirty pages Amazing Spider-Man, it feels like a full unit of entertainment, um, and it all like the leads and the backups feed into each other. Well, which and. Is- I- I, I yeah. really liked the way that worked in uh, 651, uh, you know, kind of previewing the next artist and, and you know, giving us the, the look of the new Scorpion. I, re- I, th- I loved how that backup feature really did kind of feed into what the next story is going to be. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, it, and, you know, just a, 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 by means of I mean, full disclosure, uh, your current run on Spider-Man are the first Spider-Man books I've read in about 10 years. Uh, oh, and, you know, Paul was telling me how wonderful these books were, and I jumped in, you know, uh, back at the, the beginning of Big Time, and wow, I, 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 am, I am stunned at how much I'm enjoying uh, your take on Spider-Man. Uh, it's, I think um, a lot of people, uh, the, the storyline in 2007, uh, One More Day, mm-hmm. was very controversial. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I, I think people who both like it and people who don't like it, everyone will agree across the board that it was a very controversial storyline. Um, and I think because of that controversy, uh, that uh, I think a lot of people did not brand new day a fair shake. Once, this is very unprofessional. So, <laughs> no worries. 
Hello? Hello? I'm, I'm on the On a podcast thing. Yes. No, no, it's it's being recorded now. You can't turn on now and listen. <laughs> okay. Bye, honey. Love you too. Bye. That was John Centris, right? Yes. <laughs> John Centris doesn't understand what it means to record things. <laughs> of course, it's not John Centris. I love John Centris. <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, he. You know, I, I we don't call each other honey. Uh, he's uh, he's sugar lips. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, Yes. What? <laughs> so, yeah, what's your schedule like? I mean, I, you know, th- this book's coming out, you know, twice a month. Um, and, you know, the 652 is coming out just hot on the heels on 651. What's your lead time? It's it's strange because I, I, uh, myself and Tom DeFalco are the last people in the industry who, who work, work in, in mobile style. Which is a certain way of writing they used to do way back in the day. And I think we are the last two guys that do that, where um, you write the plot and then the artist draws all the all the all the pages. And then once you get the pages back, then you script them. You know, that's actually uh, pretty interesting. And that that's kind of something I was noticing. Your jokes on the on the last four issues have all been timely. Yeah, exactly. Very timely. You've got Tron. You've got the Spider-Man musical. You know, I was like, you know, that doesn't. It, obviously, he's he's got to be ahead of this somehow. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that, some of that stuff just seems really recent. Uh, yeah, it. Uh, there's by doing it that way, you can keep it fresh. You can also, um, you can also. I think the biggest advantage of writing Marvel style is that you can play off the gifts that the artist gives you. Uh, like a, a good example, a good example is when I was working on Mighty Avengers. Um, when I wrote a sequence where Mister Fantastic and uh, Hank Pym were having an argument back and forth. Um, in that in that sequence, I wrote it in a very kind of uh, Kevin McGuire Justice Leaguey smirky way. It was very kind of low key, but when the artist uh, Segovia drew it. It was incredibly intense. Everyone was like yelling and varicose veins and pointing and clenching. And and in my head, it was a different way, but it wasn't that way in the plot. In the plot, it was very much here's the argument, and that's the way uh, Segovia interpreted it, which is totally valid. So when it was time for me to script it, I like I had to ratchet up the intensity of of what everyone was feeling. Does that make sense? It does. It's kind of funny. I've actually specifically referenced that scene on an episode of the podcast previously because I, I picked it up that run up in trade. And I loved it. And I, I it was that scene specifically that I talked about on the show. So kind of funny that you mentioned that one specifically. Well, it's you can see in the plot like there are there are certain things that are called for, like uh, Cassie uh, Lang's spit take. Is, is you know then Cassie you know all the actions are are called for panel by panel in that plot, but the way uh, Segovia chose to draw it was way more intense, so you get to play off that. Uh, so it's it's different. It's kind of fun. It means you get to use the strengths of whatever artist you're working with can really come to the the fore. Blah, can 
can come. I have not slept in the longest time. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, but it, it means you can really you, you can manage all the, all the different types of the artists, artists you, which is nice. The uh, the downside is that on some level you're writing every issue twice, and that can be very, very time consuming. But to answer like one of your questions, for example, working on Amazing right now, I have written a story that uh, doesn't come out till May. I've, I've written some stuff that's April-ish, and I've even written something that uh, comes out, I believe, in July. You're, you're at all kinds of different – my brain has to be in different places in time and know how all the continuity strings together. Uh, one of the big things uh, Stephen Wacker and myself have been talking about is some secrety uh, stuff that really plays in the summer and next fall. <laughs> so it's it's very tricky. It's very weird. So you're you're sometimes you're scripting several months ahead. Meanwhile, you're adding in the dialogue on something that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm plotting very far into the future. And uh, scripting really close to the present. And for, uh, for example, uh, well, we can cross burn that bridge again. It's really hard to figure out what I can and can't talk about. Uh, and it, a lot of times it's hard to keep all this stuff straight. I so don't want to blow the seats. <laughs> because in my head, I'm already in the summer. And But I know, for example, like this next arc, this arc that's out uh, starting this Wednesday, Revenge of the Spider Slayer. All these big, major things happen in this arc. Major turning points for the character. And it's it's really hard to talk about future stuff without spoiling some of the really big things that are just about to happen now. It's really tricky. Um, I'm trying to keep five different Spider-Man timelines juggled. Before we get too far ahead... Uh... For those of our listeners who aren't reading Big Time, and shame on them, uh, give us your elevator pitch for Big Time. My what? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah, your sales pitch. My sales? Why, do you, why is it called an elevator pitch? You've got the, the length of an elevator ride to uh, convince somebody to uh, pick up your book. Oh, interesting. How tall is the building? Very short. Small building. Dang. <laughs> See, this is why there's obesity in America. You should have just walked. <laughs> Start building, you're getting on an elevator, shame on you. Yeah. Everything that's happening uh, in big time is just one big thing after another. Uh, it should be so easy for me to put my Mark Miller hat on and go, this is the greatest thing ever. You know, this will break the internet, shatter your planet, you know, kill your god. Was the story for Big Time, Was did that come out of committee, or was that something that you pitched to Marvel? No, 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 no. This was, um, th- this was uh, when Steve offer, uh, offered me the, the book. He's like, well, no, what do you want to do with Spider-Man? And I just laid out all this stuff I feel like I've always wanted to do with Spider-Man. And, and then Peter Parker gets to do this, and then he gets to do that, and then we go here, and then we do this, and Black Hat's doing this, and, and here's what Venom's doing over here, and blah, 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 blah. It was just me throwing a million things at him. I remember um, the first lunch we did where I was taking over the book, and I brought my big yellow legal pad with all my notes down, 
And I started walking Steve through, okay, and, and here's what we're doing for the first few months. And here's where I'd like to go after that. And, and as I kept going and going, at one point, Steve took the yellow legal pad away from me. And he started flipping and flipping and flipping and flipping. And the pages didn't stop. And he looked at me and went, we're not going through all of this. <laughs> I, yeah, this is uh, working on Spider-Man is something I've wanted to do um, since I was like eight years old. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've got like a billion ideas of all this stuff I want to do. Um, and, and it's just being a, a kid in the candy shop. It's, it's, you know, getting to play with all the toys. And the One of the things that I just really enjoy about your take on Spider-Man is Peter Parker's return to science. You know, I, I just, I, I absolutely love that. It just seems so much getting back into the roots of the character. Uh, and I, I just love seeing him, you know, tinkering in the lab. This is when you think about it, uh, Peter Parker has done like all his best scientific doodads and inventions and discoveries in the service of Spider-Man. You know, that that's what moves him forward. Right. For all right. Of complaining and whining about how much Spider-Man has affected his life and stopped him from doing all these things he's wanted to do. Spider-Man on some level has also been his muse. You know, Oh my God, the vultures attacking. I'll build an anti-magnetic inverter. <laughs> That'll stop his wings. You know, that's that's what gets his brain. brain. Um, and it, it's, 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 it's the exact same thing when you, when you think about it, that yeah. Peter Parker fueled his life uh, uh, with the photos of, of Spider-Man. That that's how he made his living. He, he photographed himself having adventures, and that money helped him pay rent and helped him buy web fluid. This is going to the next level. I love science. I need science in my adventures in Spider-Man. I'll use those adventures in Spider-Man and turn around and sell them. <laughs> and then that will fund my Spider-Man life. The, the difference this time around is that's more than enough money. So now he gets better toys. Now he gets better things. Now he gets better life. Um, everyone knows the, the tagline with, from Amazing Fantasy 15 with great power must also come great responsibility. But when you look at Peter Parker's life, that power isn't just the power he has of Spider-Man. He also has Peter Parker power. As Peter Parker, he has all these great ideas, and he has this fantastic mind. And you think of all the things that, to, to live up to that promise of with great power comes great responsibility. It's also about living out to your full potential and that's what Peter's doing in big time. He's trying to be the best Peter Parker he can. And that includes what that means on a, on a level of science and what he can do with this great mind of his. That doesn't he owe the world all these great inventions and all these great thoughts? Um, if he fails to do that, is he not living up to his great power, his great Peter Parker power? And I absolutely love that about the book, and, and that's what really has drawn me in. And I love that you're showing the other side of it as well with the anti-Peter Parker. Uh, uh, is it Phil? Phil Urich? Phil Urich. Yeah. He's, he's my bizarro Pete. <laughs> I, I love that, uh, you know, when we first mentioned we were doing Hobgoblin, um, one of the things we gained with um, the controversy of One More Day, 
um, and was that I, I think we got a lot of people uh, were were fueled a lot of fans with wanting whatever was coming up next to fail. People got very invested in wanting BND to suck. <laughs> you know, without a lot of times without even reading it, which was that's a, like a frustrating place to be um, at a creator where you know you're working with guys like Niven and, and Marcus Martin and you know Adam Kubert and John Romita Jr. You're working with all these guys and you're putting out the best work you can. And yet there's all these people walking in with a chip on the shoulder. It's kind of a weird place to be. That we, as we went into this new phase with big time, there you still saw some holdouts. Um, I think a lot of people have used this as a chance to go, I'll jump into Spider-Man again. And they go, hey, this is fun. And what's great is a lot of them are backtracking and now reading the brand new day stuff and going, hey, this was great too. So it's kind of, I think it's bought us a lot of goodwill and that people have wanted to jump in and go, okay, let's take a look at this. Um, and hopefully what they're seeing is, is a big, fun Spider-Man idea, uh, book filled to bursting with ideas um, and great art and a fun time. And 30 pages, what a bargain. Well, and um, it's, it's 30 pages without a reprint. It's 30 pages with new content and fantastic art. And I mean, I'm just it, – it's a, it's a I said it at the beginning of the show. Uh, it's a big, weighty, chunky book. And while I'm generally opposed to a $3.99 price point, I feel like I'm getting a, a good value for my dollar with this book. This, this is like my favorite – my two favorite uh, compliments we get a lot. Even when people are coming back and who are like, oh, I'll give it a shot. Hey, I like this. The, my two favorite compliments people give the book are it's a chunky read, which is great. Like, um, it's like when, back when we did Spidey 600. It was like over 100 pages of new material. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got this great uh, serious fan mail from someone going, I read this the entire length of a plane trip to Detroit. <laughs> it was all good. Yeah. <laughs> then you got this big. I, I love it when people like that we give them a chunky read. That this is not a sixth a, a sixth of a story. This is clearly not a book that's quote unquote written for the trade. Mm-hmm. You're getting a full big thick unit of entertainment uh, every time you pick up a book. And the other one I like is it was worth the money. Yeah. So I like chunky read and worth the money. I'll take that every day of the week. <laughs> um, that's that, that makes me feel proud that we're working on a book that, that's given people that. Um, my favorite uh, criticism of our first issue of 648 was that too much happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading that. I was like, I don't want to say which popular site, but that was their uh, – they're they're one of their their reviewers from that board. Their official reviewer was complaining that too much happened in six four eight. Like, oh, I'm sorry. He wanted to read a book where the characters sat around and talked for twenty two pages. <laughs> yeah, you want to read that book where it's like chapter four, where it's like, and now we have the fight for twenty two pages. You know, but tough. We we got a lot done. It was fun to me. That was like. Um, the King and Mozart going, this song has too many notes. I'm, I'm really digging your take on Kingpin and that, that thing that he's adopted where, you know, he's telling the hobgoblin, you're my hobgoblin. Say it. Say it. Say it. <laughs> oh, the, 
Yeah, it's like getting back to fill the our bizarre. The, the fun thing was so many a lot of the the holdouts, the the people that still before big time even started, yet again wanted without reading it, wanting the book to fail. One of the complaints was, "Oh, they're doing Hobgoblin again." Way to go, brother! <laughs> doing Hobgoblin. Way to way to be creative. Um, and one of the things we just kept telling people from the get-go is we're flipping Hobgoblin. It's not a Hobgoblin you've seen before. Uh, the Hobgoblin, the height of its popularity uh, was all about the mystery. Who is Hobgoblin? It's Flash. No, wait, it's Ned. No, wait, it's this guy. No, oh, it's a fashion designer. Um, <laughs> it's like you never knew where it was going. And then eventually it gets revealed. Um, so you were kind of like on board for the mystery, the mystery of Hobgoblin, who it is. And to me, one of the fun things I knew we were doing right off the bat is we were going to put that, we we're going to flip it and there'd still be a mystery who's Hobgoblin. But from day one, you, the reader would be in on it. Right. We, we tell you right up, right off the bat, this is Hobgoblin and you go, Ooh. and the switch that you had early on. But from one hobgoblin to another, I mean, completely wow. stunning. Boy, are that's that's, that's like I, the minute we were doing that, I knew, oh god, all these '80s guys—they're gonna hate you. They're gonna—they're just gonna be like, what have you done? That it—that was to me. That was—that's not why we did it. But I—I I knew when I, I was going in and structuring that issue that I wanted that to be, uh, you know, this is spoilers for people who haven't read it. And I think there's a bunch of you because 649 sold out at diamond. So it's, it was one of these hard issues to get. Um, it was fun. I, that came out around Thanksgiving and mm -hmm. I was visiting my parents in Massachusetts and I wanted to pick up a copy. And the only way I was able to get a copy in their whole town um, was to get the guys to pull it for me. Um, and call ahead and just go, can you put this aside? Because after 648, the, the, uh, the retailer in that town had so many polls uh, for 648 that he didn't have enough copies. There was going to be one store copy of 649. Um, and I, I get all these tweets and I get all these uh, private messages from people. Um, here in the New York area, saying I can't find six four nine. I've called around to all the major stores in New York. It's sold out in Manhattan, and I know we got some. Uh, one of the big retailers out in Arizona was like, "Yeah, it's we can't keep. We have no six four nine. So that's very. I'm very proud of that. So when um, you when you called to have them put that aside for you, did they say, "I'm sorry, sir, it's a very popular book. We can't put it aside." And then you say, "Do you know who I am?" What? <laughs> I write goddamn Amazing Spider-Man. I have only used my powers for evil personal gain. Uh, <laughs> I've only used that 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 magic, magic. Spider-Man power once. Uh, I was at the New York Comic Con, um, one of the early ones. Mark Guggenheim was going to have a panel that was just let's see what, what Mark Guggenheim is doing. Going to be the whole panel. 
Like, like Mark will talk about Amazing, Amazing Spider-Man, and Mark will talk about his work for Oni Press, and back at that time, uh, his show Eli Stone, and a couple other things, because Mark is amazing, and Mark does a million things. But he was really worried that the room he was booked into was too large. So he was calling up his pals, like, you have to go to my panel. I need bodies in the room. So I was like, okay, let's help out Mark. Um, so I'm waiting, and they switched the rooms uh, at the last minute. And I'm, so I didn't get to see Mark's panel. I was all bummed. And I ended up uh, sitting in the waiting for the Venture Brothers at the end. And sitting uh, one row in front of me and one over was like my favorite musician. Um, do you know who Jonathan Colton is? Uh, he, a lot of people know him uh, from the, you know, the video game Portal? Yes. Where uh, the cake is a lie mm-hmm. Portal. Um, if you make it all the way through the Portal, you get an original song where uh, the computer. You did that. What I can't remember the name of the woman. The the woman is the computer voice, and um, um, she sings in this really high pitched voice. This was a triumph. No, no, nothing. Uh, but, okay. You know, I, I know of the game. I've actually. Ne- I'm I'm one of the few who has never played Portal. <gasps> it's really good. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's man, it's awesome. Uh, but there's a song still alive, and he wrote it. And once I heard that, and then I I went and I found all his other stuff, and I'm like, oh, I love this guy. And he was sitting right like a row in front, you know, where I'll run. I'm like, oh my god, it's this musician I love, who I see in concert whenever he's in town. <laughs> and at one point, he was like getting up, and I kind of went, oh, Mr. Colton, my name is Dan Slott, and I read Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> and that was like, I used my powers to halt him. But did he say who, or did he say, oh, my God, I love Amazing Spider-Man? Yeah, he kind of went, oh, well, that's neat. Okay. And then I got to talk to him for, like, five minutes. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> and he said, security. No. Using powers for a personal gain. That is so what power is all about. <laughs> if Phil Urich has taught us anything, that is what power is all about. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, no, I, I think it's fun that now we, we've got uh, – yeah, we've got the Bizarro repeat at the Bugle, which is fun. Um, you'll see... Well, I, can't, I can't talk about stuff. <laughs> I can't spoil things. It's really fun. But yeah, when we set up that first issue, uh, uh, the not, not the first issue, but the first... It's, in my mind, it's big time, and then it's a three-part story called Kill to Be You. Uh, the first part of Kill to Be You, the way it's kind of structured, and this is... I, just don't want to spoil it for people if you haven't read it yet. So put your hands over your ears and go la 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 la. Uh, was like the opening to Psycho, where you're you're following Janet Lee and you're following okay. Janet Lee and you're following Janet Lee, and then oh my God, she's killed and this is Norman Bates, and and that was kind of like the structure I was aping. So it's like uh, and and I think it worked. I think people got really invested. Oh my God, Roderick Kingsley's back and oh look where he was and oh he's got the machine guns and the. The, the goblin guider, and he's painting goblins on the sides of grenades because he's got no more goblin bombs. And oh my god! And now he's back. Now that Norman Osborn's gone, oh, now he's gonna do all these things. And what the hell did you do? You know. So it was all it was all fun. Well, it was a big surprise for me. I, I mean, I, I I have to admit, despite loving the aesthetic of the hobgoblin, I've never really known that much about the character because he's not. I don't really see him much. I, in fact, I, I think the last time I 
saw the Hobgoblin was back when Eric Larson was on the title. And I know he's been on there since. Um, he, he's ever since Hobgoblin lives. Uh, but when Stern gave an answer, answer that it was Roderick Kingsley, um, he's been on, on a beach drinking out of coconuts. So, so he's, and he's been there for like, you know, what, like 12 or 13 years of real time, not Marvel time, but real time. So people haven't really seen him. Um, and where do you take this character's story? You know, either he's not drinking a coconut and he's out and back and doing what he's doing, but why? And most of the fun of him was to watch his attempts at his rise to power, to watch his mystery unfold. And then once you found out the butler did it, the mystery's over. So that makes sense. Yeah. So spoilers <laughs> on, you know, and I, I again, I hate to ruin it, but it happens in the first issue. So you know, uh, second, second, second issue. You know, it, it, he he he's replaced essentially. Um, That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so <laughs> you know, by Phil Urich, who you know was a Green Goblin at some point as well. Phil was a good Green Goblin. He was trying to emulate. Uh, he was trying to be more like Spidey, and he was trying to. Uh, and he very much came off as a a good Peter Parker kind of clone. Uh, now he's a Bizarro clone, but he he started off being you know he's the down on his luck guy, and he's got an Uncle Ben, and he's hanging at the bugle, uh, and then and he finds this goblin cache and it gives him different stuff. A lot of powers that appeared to be activated by his suit and his mask. Um, but as it went on, for example, we saw him in the future in spider girl and in the future in spider girl, you saw that his powers didn't come from the suit and the mask that eventually he found a way to unlock them. Um, we don't know how, but we find out that eventually he didn't need those things to go on um, and have his powers. And then eventually um, when we really last saw him in the Marvel universe was in a mini series by CB Sobolski called the loners. And during that mini, he went crazy and he became kind of a bad guy. Tried to people, try to steal power from people. Um, so we kind of already, if you read all your Marvel comics, um, you kind of know that Phil was a good guy. Phil went a little into crazy town and Phil has the ability to use his powers without that stuff. It, it's asking you to know a lot of your things and maybe we'll circle around and, and dot some my's and cross some T's. Um, but all the pieces of it. But you know what's funny? Uh, not knowing any of that, <laughs> I, I, I don't feel like I lost anything. I, I hope that's the case. I, mean, right. I think most of the people who who are kind of befuddled are befuddled oh, because they've read just enough about Phil in any one area to be uh, confused about what we're doing. Right. But all the people who come into it fresh without knowing anything about Phil are happy as clams. Can I just say that I love the way Umberto Ramos draws Hobgoblin? Oh, my God, yes. It's gorgeous. Um, uh, one of the things I wish I could share with people are, like, all his, uh, Umberto's uh, development sketches, like early attempts and, and as he was playing around with the character and uh, different things. I really love this look and this feel. 
Um, one of the things I think we really wanted to do was to go, what is a hobgoblin? You know, how can we move this so that it's its own thing? That, yes, it's obviously based on the Green Goblin, mm-hmm. um, but how can we take it in new ways? You know, like I think the last thing, especially after having seen a character like Menace, um, that anyone wanted to see was yet another goblin on a glider. So I, I liked going for the vulture wings uh, and making them kind of bat wings like a gargoyle. Mm-hmm. So he takes on a more kind of medieval gargoyle feel and giving him a big flaming sword instead of just pumpkin bombs. Or It felt like a knight. It felt like a gargoyle. It felt different. Now, you were saying before about having to, you know, riding towards each rider's strengths. So what's the difference for you between riding for Umberto Ramos versus riding for Stefano Caselli? Oh, um, everybody, everybody is different. Um, I think you're going to see a lot, especially uh, once we hit like the Marcos. Um, you're going to see like you, you write differently for different guys. Um, everyone's got different strengths. Uh, all We've got pound for pound. I think we've got the best art team in comics with, with Umberto and Stefano and Marcos. Uh, these are all like amazing guys. Um, with, with Umberto, you have a lot of this raw energy and these great designs um, with Stefano, there's like a heightened sense of, of uh, just so much is going on and there's such an intensity, um, with Marcos, there's, there's so much, uh, page design and storytelling going on, um, an economy of line, all three guys, uh, I think a strength that they all share in common is that I love the way they make the characters act that I'm getting these great performances out of all my guys. Like, it's really fun to see how each guy handles, for example, J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, I, I, each one, Umberto, you know, Stefano, Marcos, all do wonderful Jonas. And, uh, you know, I love it when Jonah eats the scenery and gets to be big and bombastic. Um Oh, it's killing me because we can't talk about stuff because Stefano's first <laughs> issue hasn't come out yet. So you, there's there's great there's great stuff coming up. You're welcome to come back on next week. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, <laughs> we're set. It's a new regular podcast. That's right. It's it's the, it's the Dan Slot Show. <laughs> the Slot Cast. <laughs> <laughs> so are are those three the artists that are going to rotate? Um, I mean, I know you said you've plotted, you know, certain things from July and, you know, so you're a couple of months out now. I mean, are, are those going to be the three? Those those are our three guys. One of the things um, that we've told people, like, for example, we have like a guest issue uh, with Paulo Rivera, who's wonderful. Um, Paulo, uh, he painted all of the Marvel Mythos books and he did one moment in time. And it's everyone wants those striking covers, like that one of uh, Peter and Mary Jane hugging in that field of blue. Oh, yeah, that was a nice cover. That's gorgeous. Um, Paulo is working on uh, an issue, um, and that's going to be a treat. Uh, when I wrote that story, I think that was um, I think that was like my fourth issue of anything I wrote for uh, – uh, big time. 
was like I, I wrote like the first issue for each artist. I wrote like, you know, here's my my um, Umberto issue, my Stefano issue, my Marcus issue. And then I wrote the story and I knew exactly where it was going to place in time so we could bank uh, this issue. But it, it falls exactly in a very specific spot and something big happens in it because I wanted to be very sure that if we ever had a guest artist come in, that it wouldn't just be this evergreen story that you could plop in anywhere. Does that make sense? Because to me, when you read those, they go, well, I don't read that issue. Yeah, I absolutely. Can absolutely. But I wanted to make sure that the that an issue we banked fit specifically in somewhere and that we could build up to this moment. Um, so when you read that the Apollo issue, it's very important. Um, and uh, it's, there's, there's, there's some issues, issues coming up. I don't want to give it away, steal focus from other guys, but uh, there's some issues that when I uh, bounce them off my think tank, and some of my think tank are people that don't read comics, because to me it's important uh, that people can follow comics who don't usually read comics, then that way you're sure you're in a good place for your new readers that it's new reader friendly. Um, and when I ran this by some people and every time it was a girl, that there's certain issues where they've read them and gone, Oh, I'm like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I made you cry. <laughs> yes. And, uh, Apollo's issue is definitely one of those. When you, when you hit the Apollo issue, you go, Oh no. And it's always really nice when, um, when you write that that idea or that story where someone, especially like uh, another pro in the industry or an editor, reads it and goes, why did anyone ever write that story before? <laughs> like, those pieces were sitting here for like 60 years. Why didn't someone find that beat? And you're like, yes. And to me, that's, that's my favorite thing. When you find that little moment of gold and you go, yeah, okay. So you were you were talking about uh, you know being new reader friendly. You've got six fifty four point one coming up, which you know is advertised as a perfect starting point. Yes, and I would like to point out, <laughs> yeah. uh, big time. Even though I love I love the point one initiative, and I like the idea of it, that every you can jump in and it's a perfect jump on point. Um, and 654.1 is definitely one of them. You can pick, you can jump in. But I like to think with big time, even when we're in the middle of a story, I think it'd be very good at being new reader friendly. You could jump in at 651, you know, and, and you're good to go. You can jump in at 650 and you're good to go. You can jump in anytime you want and we'll bring you up to speed and take you along for the ride, even if you're in the middle of a, a multi-part story. And I, I would certainly agree with that, and, and I think it's got a lot to do with the fact of how chunky those stories are, as, we, as we've talked about. Yeah. Um, the, it's, it's, there's, there's certain things that some people, people like, 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 you know, that, 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 that sometimes I like to feel exactly natural, or that, you know, that felt a little clunky here or there, and my take is, yeah, because we had to do it. You, you have to open up that issue and go, hello, Peter Parker. <laughs> yes, Aunt May. Hello, Robbie. <laughs> you know, you yeah. have actually, you know, a, a new hero pops in and you go, Carol Danvers, it's been a while since I've seen you, Ms. Marvel. 
because that's the way you do it. Right. <laughs> and if you if you, you do, do that, that, you do that with with key story points and you do that with with every time you introduce a character, you're always good to go in any issue. And if, if it if you have to suffer that little bit of clunky, I'll take it every day of the week uh, just so that each issue can be friendly to a new reader and that. You know, if you haven't read the book in two weeks or a month, you go, okay, yeah, I remember where we are. <laughs> We're here. Okay, yeah, that's right. Hobgoblin stole the reverbium and got it to the kingpin. And now we've got to steal it back. Okay, I know exactly where we are. Let's go. Let's have, have a story. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dan, uh, what kind of coordination goes on between you and the other Spider Universe None. writers? None. Okay. No. <laughs> In fact, uh, one of the things I have to do tomorrow is I think I have uh, a stockpile of eight scripts to read um, where Spidey or other Spidey elements are going to appear in other scripts. Um, like like I, you're, you're seeing, oh, God, see, I'm not, I have to be even more careful because you know, it's one I spoil my own secrets and other ones I spoil other writers. Um, you know, it's okay. We know Otto Octavius is in Invincible Iron, Iron Man. Yeah. Solicits already told us that. Yep. So you're you're gonna see I'm, you're gonna see elements from Big Time in in another Marvel books, which is fun. fun. That's, that's, a, a, that's a neat thing. I remember um, being at the last big Marvel retreat where we have the you know big wigs sitting around tables and. Uh, stars of the Marvel Universe, universe, universe. <laughs> um, and I remember mentioning one of the really big things, which is happening in Revenge of the Spider Slayers, this new multi-part story starting next Wednesday. And I mentioned one of the big elements that happened, something big. And Brian uh, Bendis, who, had, who writes Avengers, and which uses Spider-Man, kind of went... I'll have to reflect that at my book. <laughs> yes, you will, because that's pretty damn big, ain't it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no way around it. That, that's a pretty big thing to happen to Spider-Man. Why, yes, it is. Now, do you get in trouble when you upset one of the architects of the Marvel Universe? Are, oh, you, you, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and I, I saw the list. Like these are the architects. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was trying to figure out what does that make me. Well, I am a fun engineer. <laughs> I am building. I am building fun pieces for the Marvel universe. No, or I was like, no, I'm. I am the Marvel anarchist. I'm blowing up what the architects are building. <laughs> no idea what I am. I know what I, I well, I'm I'm the writer on Amazing Spider-Man. That's kind of fun. So, it's not good. No, it's um it's it's interesting. Um cuz like I get to I get to be in these meetings and I get to see where all the pieces are going. I think one of the one of the things we're doing um that I like in Amazing Spider-Man is that you see we're we're hitting a lot of continuity in the Marvel universe. Um you look at you, you look at uh, the first arc of Big Time, and we're touching on um, the Doom War from the Black, Black Panther stories. stories. 
we're touching on stuff that the Brian was doing in Avengers with with Ken. We're, we're touching on all these different, different elements uh, from Marvel universes. It's one big tapestry, and Spider-Man and is clearly a part of it. I am so darn tired. <laughs> Sleep. It's like Grandpa, wake up. Yeah, I'm up. I'm up. I was rushed in my ash. Um, no, because I was I was up crazy scripting uh, to make sure that they had a big uh, uh, to make sure they had a very large uh, script waiting for them on Monday uh, this morning and now I, I owe more stuff <laughs> <It's>, oh, <laughs> I so want to talk about like the things I'm working on because um, they're so cool because you always like the toy you're playing with at the moment right. um, but everything we're doing is building off and building off these Big big things that keep happening in every, and I can't talk about big things that I'm working on now because uh, it would spoil so many secrets. Ah, uh, darn it! Just go ahead and tell us. It's okay. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we'll stop recording, so, Aaron. Stop recording. <laughs> so much stuff happens in uh, this arc, and uh, Marcos's arc when that starts, it's it's impossible to look away from the previous arc because so many big things happen. And so much of uh, the first issue with Marcos is just dealing with all of the fallout of everything that, that in the arc that you're about to read, this big epic arc that's coming up, has such an impact on Spider-Man's life. Um, you know, like, you want to do all this hyperbole. You want to go, his life will never be the same again. But... Um, you see that in so many solicits. Uh, it's it's kind of fun when you actually get to be the guy writing it, and you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is this 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 story is going to be felt for some time. Uh, it it has it. I totally lost what the thread we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were telling us about the big reveal for issue seven hundred. Oh, the big reveal in issue seven hundred. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. <laughs> Peter Parker marries Flash Thompson. What? <laughs> There's your brand new day. <laughs> what? I guess they could call that one brand new gay. Oh, don't. Don't <laughs> do that. <laughs> totally cool. No, I, what? Hmm. The big reveal in 700. <laughs> One of the things that you see coming up the coming up the road as the numbers get bigger and bigger and bigger uh, is all these people are like, "What are you gonna do for Spidey six six six? What are you gonna do for Spidey six six six?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm so hating that question." I'm like, oh, "Can you stop? Can you stop? What are you gonna do for Spidey six six six?" And part of me is like, "I've heard it so many times. My 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 running answer now is, you know what I'm gonna do? Spider Man and Squirrel Girl are gonna have a picnic." That's Spidey six six. There, <laughs> but but that tough done. <laughs> they have a picnic, a lovely picnic with pandas. <laughs> so, Aaron, you had some questions have, about shattered dimensions. I have not slept in. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when can we uh, expect to see Spider Pig again? Oh, it's Peter Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider Ham. Yeah. Uh, I would I would love to do that. Um, <laughs> that was my biggest battle in uh, Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions. 
when they they ran the idea by me and told me the structure of the game, I was like, Spider-Ham? And they're like, no, no, we're, no, no. We're like, well, when we show the tapestry of the web of life and destiny, can we, Spider-Ham? Like, no, no, no. We're, we're doing a serious video game. It was in Canada, so it's all, uh, it was all, we are doing a uh, serious video game. <laughs> now I'm making him sound like Inspector Clouseau. They were great guys. It was really fun. But uh, they, it took a lot of arm twisting to get Spider-Ham in there. Um, and then I, I hit the joke in the in the opening cinematic. And one of the things, uh, uh, a dark secret of the video game um, Empires is that in the olden days, um, even going back to 8-bit, we uh, after, as you played the game, when you got to the end of the game, you got a big reward. Right. And you got a big, huge cinematic at the end. And nowadays, what they realize is that so many video games are coming out. They're coming out so fast. And you're always attracted to the new shiny toy. That lion share, not the hardcore gamer, but the lion the people who buy the video games, do not finish and reach the final screen. Right. And because of that, they don't want to spend, you know, their their R and D money. They don't want to spend that um, building cool cinematics for the end of a game that no one's going to see. So they actually do it backwards, where your opening cinematic gets all the money, and then you do smaller and smaller and smaller cinematics until you get to the end and you do something fun. And cool. Does that make sense? Because why blow your budget? Oh yeah. You want to have all your money on the screen. Yeah. Um, so at one point I pitched to them after the credits roll, I want to do a Ferris Bueller joke, you know, where the, here's your Ferris Bueller, Bueller shower. you're still here. It's over. over. Go home. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I want to do a Ferris Bueller post credits joke where, uh, Madam Webb is alone at headquarters. And all of reality has been sealed, and all the Spider-Mans have gone back to their proper dimensions. And then suddenly one guy pops through, and it's Spider-Ham, and he goes, so what did I miss? <laughs> They're like, we're never animating that. You, you want, want us to build a Spider-Ham figure. <laughs> you know, build a whole new character, a whole new skin, just so you do a stupid 15-second <laughs> joke at the end. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, God, I fought them so hard. That was like all my battles. <laughs> Not like, what about this or what about that? Or should th- which craven should this be and which continuity? No, no, no. The fight was 15 seconds, Spider-Ham, at the end. Or I walk. I walk, man. No, that, that wasn't like that. But it was uh, that was the, that was all my battles. And uh, I, that was the one I won. And when we showed that at San Diego... Not the 15-second bit, but the opening cinematic. Right. When they hit the Spider-Ham joke and everybody was cracking up in a full-packed house, they, they went like, oh, my God, you know these people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you speak their language. I'm like, yeah. So like, they're like, like, thank you. Thank you for making us stick the Spider-Ham stuff in there. So that was – So, Dan, are you a gamer? Do you, you play a little Xbox, a little PS3? Um, I was way. I was a super hardcore gamer, um, all the way up to uh, my Arkham Asylum miniseries for DC. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, 
Uh, and this is a sad but true story. Uh, like I had in the apartment, I had like every major game system except for um, Super Nintendo. Um, you know, I had the N64. I had I had all these other stuff, but I did not have like the um, whatever the the parallel was to Sega Genesis, like. Because you had the NES, and then you had the Super NES. I didn't have Super NES. Outside of that, I pretty much had everything. And in the case of a lot of my game systems, they had mod chips, so I could play the Japanese and European games. Um, I was crazy. Like, my my Sega was a, a Sega Genesis hooked into the first ever uh, Sega CD, which was much larger than the later model, with a 32X clamped into it and a big mod cartridge clamped into that so it was this giant totem of this one video game system uh but, but i had these other, other games this is hugely out. out and uh, this was this was before you could play people online so you would invite people over to your house and have a video game night um and i I'd, I'd had like editors and other people over and um a dc editor that i was doing uh arkham asylum with been over to my house and seen my layout. And he said to me, because I was notorious for being late on assignments, like usually by a couple days, sometimes like a week. That that stopped. Um, but he, uh, he'd he seen my layout and he knew how important Arkham was going to be. And before I could, he would let me start Arkham, he made me bring my PlayStation 2 into DC and they locked it in the closet. <laughs> I'm serious. They locked my PlayStation 2 in a closet at DC Comics where it stayed until Arkham 6 was finished. And what I noticed with my PlayStation 2 away from me, (laughs) without a controller in my hand and Grand Theft Auto playing, um, I got so much done. (laughs) So sad. I was like, oh my God, there's fresh air and trees. So you've given up on the gaming then? Um, I did not buy a new system. Um, I had the Xbox. And the reason I bought, not the Xbox 360, Xbox, the reason I bought it was because I wanted to play the Craven exclusive levels of Spider-Man 2. Mm. Um, every time I bought a system, starting with uh, the Dreamcast, it was because there was a Spider-Man game. Or a Spider-Man game I even previously owned with high, higher level graphics. That's why I bought a Dreamcast. So sad. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, and I, I kind of went for a while without buying any of the new systems post PlayStation Two um, until uh, my girlfriend one birthday bought me an Xbox 360. And this shows what a terrible boyfriend I am. Like I opened it up and instead of being like, yeah, I'd be like, what have you done? Why have you given me crack? (laughs) (laughs) I have to go back to AA now. (laughs) What the hell? So I have a, I have an Xbox 360 here, but I am not as crazy as I used to be. I am not. um, There's a closet here. You can open it up. And you can see these controllers for Dreamcast and PlayStation. And you're like, why the hell do you own two different fishing rod controllers? <laughs> <laughs> why? 
Why what? do you own two mats for Santa de Amigo? You know? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> my dad, um, not really into video games at all. Uh, but one time when he was visiting, I got him to play with some games like us. And he really liked it, which is weird because my dad's such a total pacifist. But I got him playing stuff like Sega Virtual Cop. He just loved the gun games and loved the gun attachments. And well, let's play some of these gun games. And what's really sad was I had like all these multiple light gun controllers just for the light gun games where um, you could play as four players with the two players and you could each be John Woo if you came over to my apartment. You get <laughs> each player with two, a gun in each hand so you'd have two players playing as four. Which was awesome. Nothing to be ashamed of. We all did it. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm John Woo. <laughs> but not just that, but you could do it with a friend. <laughs> so I had, and because of multiple systems and multiple gun versions, because you had your Neo, your, oh, what what the hell was it called? They had two different versions of light for, for, for PlayStation 1. Like you had one that you used for Time Crisis and, and certain games from Namco, and then one that you used for another company. So it's really sad the number of guns that I had uh, for that were video game guns, or the number of uh, like Street Fighter level fighting sticks that were in this apartment for multiple different systems. It was disgusting. It, that was that was the monkey on my back. So yeah, yeah, I, I'm not, not ever. <laughs> That said, I'm going to play Marvel vs. Capcom 3 like a Salma Beach. <laughs> I, I look at that and I'm like, oh man, that looks great. And it's got big time Spidey in it. So it's you have to. Spidey! <laughs> it's got well, She-Hulk! Well, it's got She-Hulk! It just, and she's doing poses from like the Adiganov cover. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> well, if, if Amazing Spider-Man winds up delayed, we'll know why. Oh, that ain't happening. If that ever happened, Steve Wacker would have send people out of here. They'd shoot me in the head. It's never happening. You're getting your comments. Well, Dan, thanks so much for coming on tonight. I, you know, I, we know you're tired, but we appreciate you taking some time to chat with us. I am so I'm. I'm so I set my alarm so I would wake up for this. I'm like, because I just knew I was going to crash. Um, it's, it's really scary. I mean, you do what you have to do to get the books out, to get the books done. Um, and there were times, I think I've twit picked it, uh, where you see my, the, the heating unit right next to where I work and lined all the way across the top where different, uh, the extra large sizes of Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Um, and every now and then spurst into there is like a, a Red Bull. <laughs> like, this book has aged me <laughs> but it's worth it because at the end of the day you're writing Spider-Man which is pretty awesome it, pretty damn awesome absolutely it's all, it's all, it's all very cool the, the, you get these moments where uh, you know even it's like the middle of the night and you're still scripting and I'll hit like a J. Jonah Jameson line and scripting J. I would write J. Jonah the amazing J. Jonah Jameson I would just write that book <laughs> Because he is, when you, I felt that way about the thing. That there's some characters that are just so much fun to write, and they take over when you're writing. So like you're writing thing, and it's like, hey, special, 
and you just you're just writing and the same thing with Jonah that you hit any moment where Jonah goes and I'm I'm good for another five pages because I'm like yeah I'm having fun look at this I'm being all brushed up it's a <laughs> Well, again, thank you so much. It was this was awesome. Yeah, I I know we joked about having you on like next week, but you are more than welcome on anytime. Oh, thanks, guys. (laughs) (laughs) The the book is fantastic. I am thoroughly enjoying Amazing Spider-Man. It's the first book I read when I bring it home. Uh, It's at the top of the pile. And like I said, you know, just it's wonderful from beginning to end. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Paul. Hey, well, you have a nice night. Get some rest. We'll do. Sweet dreams. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, you know, on that note, I've, I've like never really dreamed about my career before, where like I go to sleep, and I have since working on uh, Big Time. I have had I have had like two or three dreams where I'm like in my team, I'm working on Big Time. <laughs> and there's a deadline. It's like okay, and then you wake up and you're like. Oh, man, that was a dream. I didn't actually work when I was sleeping. <laughs> I have so much to do now that I'm awake. Oh, I'm, I'm, i got to remember what I wrote in my dream because that was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a good night, sir. Thanks, guys. Take Thanks. care. Good night. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.